0: My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge of the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. Today's episode is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. Our first issue shipping now. Our second issue is coming soon. And I really hope you all take the time and check out what is 116 pages, at least the first one, of first edition, print-only, photo table book quality, beauty, centered around stories about the human experience. But moving on. Today, I am joined by Julian Voss Andre, a German sculptor based in Portland, Oregon, USA. He is widely known for his striking large-scale public and private commissions, often blending figurative sculpture with scientific insights into the nature of reality. His sculptures are frequently shown at international art fairs and galleries, and can be found in major collections all over the world. Voss Andre's work has been featured in print and broadcast media worldwide, and videos of his sculptures have gone viral with tens of millions of views. Prior to his art career, Julian voss Andre studied quantum physics and philosophy at the Universities of Berlin, Edinburgh, and Vienna, and did his graduate research in the lab of 2022 Physics Nobel Prize laureate Anton Zellinger, participating in a seminal experiment in foundational quantum physics. His expertise in diverse fields of science and a deep passion for the mysteries of the world have been a continual source of inspiration for his work. And in our conversation, we talk about everything from the nitty-gritty parts of his artwork to physics to understanding the intersection of quantum physics and art and reality, including we start diving into psychedelics and conspiracy theories and other incredible things. This has been one of my favorite episodes to date, and I really hope that you enjoy this conversation between myself and Julian Voss André. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Julian, thank you so, so much uh, for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So I start off every single podcast by asking the same question, which is what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning?
1: I don't have a specific thing I always think of, but today I thought about, I I started this routine of of turning on the shower while I'm in the shower without waiting till it gets warm, because I Mm -hmm. thought it's good to have cold exposure. And then I always think of Joe Rogan saying about his cold plunge, I step into that that bitch every morning. So that's (laughs) what I was thinking this morning.
0: (laughs) Yeah it's it's a good point and and i think there's a there's a double side of that which is also that like people waste so much water by waiting for their water to warm up in the shower no right? so, i know that was so that bugged me a, a lot double. and then
1: i thought how can i combine those those two yeah
0: cool was that was that what, what was the basis of that desire for change did you did you decide to like do that because you want to stop wasting water or like what where did that come from
1: I I, uh, listened to Huberman talking about the, uh, you know, voluntary cold exposure, how it's like beneficial. And I thought that was, and and discomfort in general, you know, I'm like intrigued by our life being made worse by our seeking out comfort and avoiding discomfort. So, So along those lines, I was thinking, and then I was like, wait, and then I don't need to waste all this water. So that was perfect. So now I'm doing it. I have to have the winter still coming. It's coming up now. So let's see how the winter's going.
0: That's awesome. Uh, so you're, when you say Huberman, you're referring to Andrew Huberman, right? He yes, correct. Kind of quote mm-hmm. for that. W- right. What are some of his other favorite, um, like, because he he has so much. He has so much good nuggets, right? Like so many things he says, I want immediately. Like, I want to do that. Like sunlight exposure in the morning is something that he talks about right. a lot. That I right. I started doing. Mm-hmm. Um, any other of his kind of beliefs or mantras that you've started to involve you know i'm I'm,
1: I'm not super familiar with his work I, i've listened to maybe three of his like main things he he has online i i found one about psilocybin, psilocybin and and mushroom magic mushrooms very interesting I thought that was a really good one but I, again I, I don't really know his work that well but whenever i listen to him or hear like these clips i'm like wow he's really good how he phrases stuff how he frames it
0: yeah, he's he's one of those people that I think has just come up in like the Joe Rogan, Tim Ferris, Naval, um, uh, Jocko Willink, like people that's kind of just like, there are these people out there that have so many good ideas and we just need to listen to them. And he's one of those people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And he has a deep science background, which obviously for you and I matters a lot when I listen right. to him. Right. Right. It's very, very um, legit. Very legit. Right. Um, so. Do you have any other morning routines that you like to utilize besides um, this new one with the shower, like about coffee or reading or meditation or journaling? Like, what is? Yeah,
1: I I do actually meditate, um, w- uh, the, which I've started maybe two years ago, maybe th- three. I mean, I've changed my life quite a bit over the last, let's say, three years. And one of those mm. things is meditation. And that's, that's what I do actually the first thing before I even step into the shower or anything else. Mm. So I have my phone off. And I do my meditation with a timer, which is, doesn't go off after a certain time, but I'd rather I, I put a timer on so I know when I'm ending my meditation, I just stop it and see how long it took. You know, so no, I don't want to like bias that. myself. And then and then I turn on the phone, see if there's an urgent message from Germany because my parents are there. and There's usually mm-hmm. none. And then I, I do the rest.
0: Yeah. Old school parents I bank, usually have no problems. It, it, yeah okay. exactly
1: yeah no they, they yeah but you know they're now in the 80s so i, I have to see every yeah. every day if everything's okay and then i commute my sure. bike to my shop which is my favorite thing
0: yes so basically when you go through this meditation practice um do you focus on breathing do you clear your mind Do you have a mantra like what is your
1: yeah shtick? i should say i have absolutely no clue what i'm doing i, I <laughs> learned like my yeah. my father-in-law told me like a few sentences what it is basically and i tried to read a book and it was boring i couldn't read it so i yeah. i clear my mind i i look at my breathing i try to get in a state where i where I don't think in the normal way but i'm kind of observing and i i feel mm-hmm. this is what i want to do and it, i i don't have any ambition you know i'm just like i'm trying to yeah. do, i just want to be there and do this sure. and i have some other yeah. Routines that where I look at you know where I sort of like give thanks and and stuff like that, but but that's more like you know in this em- embryo stage so far I'm just uh, you yeah. know learning this
0: interesting i think I think something interesting you pointed out, which I agree with is that all meditation books are boring, and the one that you read is boring it's like it's not just that book, it's every single book probably um, <laughs> and and i and i've I've also been meditating for a, a few years, and I really didn't get it until. I think I was listening to, it was, it was a Tim Ferriss and Naval Ravikant podcast. And Naval was talking about his view of meditation and how like he doesn't use a mantra. He doesn't listen to his breathing. He just lets his mind empty itself. And he said two really profound things that really helped me uh, really figure it out. And I think I've, I've since told other people and have helped them. The first one was a lot of people don't meditate because they sit down and they can't clear their head. And that's because you have a lot of things that you have to work through that you've been ignoring. And you have to get through those things in order to to reach this kind of peace from mind. And that was the second thing. It's like people say they want peace of mind, but you really want peace from your mind. You want to be able to like look up at thirty thousand feet, staring at yourself, and be like, "I am not that." You know, um, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, so, totally. I, that makes perfect. I mean, it's like with so many things, almost like it's almost a feature of our time now that that we. We have to understand that we, it's not book knowledge doesn't cut it anymore. You know? It's not about reading about, yeah. learning about, it's about experiencing it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? We are suddenly realizing we are sovereign in the free people. And we, we have to make our own decisions about all sorts of things, including vaccines and you name it. You know? it's, it's very interesting how this pops up everywhere these days
0: yeah it's 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 strange and, and i I do overall like the direction this is heading because it's it's forcing us all to become more creative and more independent and you yeah. know really figure out what is the value we can bring to society right because it used to be like we had these hegemons and these monoliths of of culture and work through these massive corporations and those are basically there's still a couple of hegemons right like Apple amazon Microsoft meta you know but besides that, I think we're having this massive exodus from that where more and more smaller independent things are being created and that's why I love startups so much because it's like it is that it's like the next thing it's like I don't we don't like what exists let's go do something better right absolutely
1: um, I, so many other, I mean in politics we see the same mm. desire to go to a smaller scale democracy to an actual democracy we see it in in cryptocurrency is a really good example you know that be, mm-hmm. you will, are your own bank basically so it's a very different feel
0: yeah and because and, I, I mean, like think about it like this, like a lot of our systems are based off problems that were huge problems in the 1700s, and 1800s, but aren't problems anymore, right? Like bank, banks were ex- invented because people couldn't trust other people to verify how much money you had, right? But if you have something like a blockchain that is unfungible, right? It solves that need, right? And so I, I think that the technology is on its way, but I would, I would believe it's not, it's not there yet, right? Because right. until you lower that friction, for the average person to go and do it, it's not going to change anything, right? So Yeah, and
1: also we have these power structures that have a vested interest in basically corrupting these systems, you know? So like the, yeah. the, the central digital banking, whatever they're called, CDBT or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you can set this up in a really awesome way if you have like a Snowden in charge. But if you don't, yeah. then you're kind of probably screwed by this stuff. So it's, it's a fine yeah. line.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that say like, you know, there's about 150 people. They're all, wh- they're all mostly white men that r- rule the world. And those are the people that control the the IMF and the world bank and the monetary fund and control interest rates and where money goes and the other and it makes, it makes sense. Like they have a ton of control that most people don't realize is centralized into a very small group of people, you know? Um, Clearly. Yeah. So going back to your morning routine. So after, you get through everything at home. You hop on your bike. You live in Portland, Oregon, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So obviously, usually lovely, nice place to bike to, bike to, bike to the studio. Um, so before we get into like what you do at the studio, um, to kind of explain yourself, some people listening to this podcast probably know exactly who you are. Some people have never heard of you. Um, so to kind of set the stage, how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self?
1: Okay. Um, I built sculptures. So I built, you know, I, I I take basically 3d images of people's for people's bodies and, and, and use those as a raw material to turn them into a steel, stainless steel, stone, Mm -hmm. copper, bronze uh, objects, you know, that, that look really cool.
0: They do look really cool. Yeah. So, so and I'm gonna I'm gonna link an image below of of a gallery of some of your your more recent sculptures. But to, to describe it, and you can please call me out if, if if I'm starting to to like go away from what it actually is. But to describe it to someone, it's basically like almost a forced perspective, where from one view you see the entirety of what the object or sculpture is supposed to be from like an outline silhouette perspective. But as you are able to, like, if you were to walk around the sculpture in like a 360 degree circle, you will at one point pretty much watch the sculpture disappear because it's made of these lines that are so thin that they basically just like dissipate into your viewing plane. Right. Is that, is that somewhat accurate.
1: Yeah, that's somewhat accurate. I mean, it's, it's, it's this body of work you are talking about, which I'm mostly known for, is, is, is mm-hmm. kind of really simple to explain. It's just like parallel slices of thin steel polished mm-hmm. with like about 90% air in between them when you are looking along that, that line that you were yeah. talking about, when they appear to disappear. So there's the, 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 that little bit of steel you still see from that angle reflects yeah. the light of the environment. And so that it's, it's, it's kind of stunning, the effect. Yeah, and Sorry. I, I discovered mm-hmm.
0: you it's okay. I, I, I discovered dog. you because, uh, cause there was a viral video that went around on Instagram and I think it was a sculpt sheet of what would look like an astronaut. And yeah. it was, it was mm-hmm. beautifully done. And I immediately was like, I want to understand. And once I learned that you had the background that you do and the basis that you do, it, it became like my mission to talk to you because I, I just went like, wh- where did you get this idea to, to, to go down this path, with this type of sculpture?
1: Well, it's it's kind of odd. I, I used to be a physicist. My my background is in oh, physics, yeah. and I did my experiment in a in a group that's actually headed by the guy who won the last year's Nobel Prize in physics, Anton Seilinger. And and my my graduate research was involved in taking the largest molecules ever at that time. That was 1999, 2000, and, and show that mm-hmm. they too show wave particle duality. So, you know, that's something that's mm-hmm. known since the 20s. Basically, that you can show for, for photons that they behave like waves, but are measured as particles, yeah. photons, then little e- electrons, atoms, even small molecules, the same thing. You measure them as a particle, but they move through space and time as a wave. That's quantum physics. And yeah. but But you can push this yeah. further and further. The question is, where is this transition between the weirdness of the quantum world and the normal world of the classical physics that, that we're all used to. And and our experiment basically took um, buckyballs, carbon-60 fullerenes, mm-hmm. large molecules, and did the same kind of double-slit experiment set up with those, which was by far, by several orders of magnitude, uh, the biggest object at that point in terms of its mass, which determines the wavelength, the meta-wavelength. So yeah. And and the question is where would this end and and of course when you're a human being and you put your mind and your inspiration to this you think of it what would it be feel like to be this object this yeah. quantum object that goes through you know through through the setup will i see two slits and then magically schizophrenically split myself up into two and then get measured as one thing again which is what we see in the experiment so so the question is where, w- yeah, w- w- where is the transition, and, and how can I? For me, the starting point was how how would I make a, a visual metaphor for me going through this as the quantum mm. object through this experiment. And so I thought about a few years after I'd done this graduate research, I I thought of uh, thought up this human walking man consisting out of wave fronts, you know, so parallel slice of steel representing the wave fronts. And that's where this idea came from. So when you walk this way, then the mathematics tells you the wave fronts need to go that way. And so I made this first walking man about 2 meter 58 feet tall. And and when I, when I looked at it from the front, and the back, it was solid and from the side, it seemed to disappear. And that was, and I didn't really expect that at all, but it fits so well with this whole quantum message that everything's fundamentally dependent Mm -hmm. on your point of view you know it can there's two complementary paradoxical interpretations but on some level they're all one yeah so that really fit together that's what it started me on this
0: path that's amazing and and it really spoke to me because i i actually you know the the caption was was setting you up perfectly it was like here is someone with the background in quantum physics that has decided to go work on sculptures and immediately i i I knew what you were i I knew what you were trying to do right this difference of things are particles and things are waves and and this really beautiful representation of of things exist and they exist in two planes and i think that people recently have had a pretty good exposure to what quant the basis of quantum mechanics through oppenheimer right um because i think you know everyone i know has seen the movie and i think it does a pretty good job of like giving a very baseline intro of like a practical application of what was used to get to that point. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so kind of breaking down the process and if, if some of this is privileged or, um, you know, trade secret, you are allowed to pass on anything I'm asking, but like, what, what does the process look like when you're starting from there's a certain sculpture I want to make and going all the way to finished product? Like, what, what does yeah. that look like for you and your team?
1: So, it, I mean, this has evolved, of course. In the beginning, I, I, this first Quantum Man, I, I carved out of a giant block of styrofoam. And then mm. with, you know, just like I, I drew the outline on it then carved it with a hot knife and then actually sliced it physically and then traced the slices on steel. And um, cool. in the next iteration, I took photos of each slice to digitize it to make it a laser cut. So first I cut it by hand and then I laser cut it. And then I had like a bunch of in-between steps where I modeled in large in 3D and did 3D scans and then sliced in the computer, which was at that time pretty hard to do. Now it's much easier. And um, now easier. I'm at a point where I do the whole thing in the computer, basically, just because on one hand, I got so good at it, B the tools have gotten so good and complex that you can work in an artistic flow. In the computer without these okay. constraints really much more um so it almost is it's so complex now that it allows the accident to enter into the work again which used to be not the case yeah. on computers and which mm-hmm. is a big part of doing art, interestingly um, so typically these days i design a new sculpture because i have a certain idea i i have actually hundreds of little maquettes of people who I, I have this 3D scan set up. So I, I just like whenever somebody visits me oh, or awesome. often I just let them, uh, you know, do a few photos and then I, scan. I I, do a photogrammetry. So I take about 160 or so photos from different mm-hmm. angles then crunch the 2D data, turn it into 3D a solid. And then I make a little, mm-hmm. let's just take the raw data and do a 3D print, you know, on a little printer. Yeah. And so I have hundreds of those things. And whenever I have a, an idea... Then it typically evolves around something that I've done before somehow, and I just grab something, and and then I often use clay and modify the 3D prints and rescan it. So I, that's like a, a kind of a one way of working. And then in the computer, I do a lot of sculpting to traditional sculpting, and then it goes through the th- through the machinery of of, of basically um, slicing it up, which yields a raw outline so the the main actually in terms of my time design time the by far the biggest part is is turning these raw lines into beautiful drawings you know like turning them from poly lines to splines bezier curves technically yeah and and then i get and all then... go crazy of course because <laughs> i, yeah, I, I know, i'm so obsessed with detail detail
0: yeah well that was what i was noticing is because like so it's all stainless steel, right? And having spent time in aerospace fab shops, I know how hard it is to weld stainless steel and those look like welded braces between each juncture, right? Those are all, it's yeah. all welded together as one single unit. So how do you, how, how, what does that process look like? And, and how do you decide the thickness and the spacing of, I, or do you call them spars? Do you call them spars? What do you call those little pegs you have between the? Layers?
1: I call them pins you know, their pins, pins okay. dowel pins is usually yeah. what I get. Um, so this is interesting because, I mean, you talk about trade secrets. I have I have several, sure. a whole bunch yeah, of so. people who like copy my work and I don't yeah. really care that much anymore even though I had some legal Good. legal kind of things going on because it, at some point it was necessary. Get... Yeah, yeah, very painful and, and, and annoying. But the point is I, I, I've evolved the process from 2006 when I started the first piece I, I did MIG welding and plasma cutting, to, to um, mm. stainless steel laser cutting. Um, now it's at a point where we where we have this amazing workflow. We start from the middle. We we put the pins in. There's all each piece is designed ready with numbers and and holes where the pins go. So we do plug welds, wow. you know. So we clean yeah. up as we go. So everything that's on the inside's already cleaned up as we go out. That's basically the yeah. trick. And took me. As an astonishing eight years to 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 get it to that point. For so eight sure. years of this yeah. work, and now it's so obvious and so simple. But now I know mm. how to do it. You know, but that
0: the aspect. most brilliant thing about the the level of mastery that you and your team have gotten to with producing these is that you could write the book on having, and then you could write this down and give someone the most detailed instruction of how to do it. And I'd say 99 of a hundred people probably wouldn't even get close because like the amount of skill that it takes to do that. And also like as something you, I think you alluded to is there's a lot of things in your head still of the creation process that allows to get to this point. That's not copyable, right? And I'm sure that people have tried to, but also like, I think it's, I know it's a legal perspective and you don't want people, you know, profiting off of something that is your idea. But like, it's also, you know, you're doing something incredible and people are like, doing whatever they can to copy you, right? Absolutely, um, yeah, and, it's so, and it seems it's so natural
1: nice. too. In hindsight, it's, it's so obvious, you know? I mean, what you, I mean, to go back to this quantum thing, it's almost older than that. What we do is we impose a Cartesian grid onto the organic world. And it's almost yeah. like what we do in science. We do, you know, this logical reasoning thing, and then suddenly we find ourselves discovering quantum physics, where everything is yeah. poof, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. we went, we we jumped through all the hoops in terms of logical step by step, and then now we have something that's that's more akin of like a spiritual thing. It's like it's not, it's not your boring dry science thing, and it's kind of like that. Yeah. You you impose this grid on the world, and something it's it does something really amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that and I and I I I love that. I don't know, it just makes me so happy seeing it, right? Because it because it, it fulfills like this love I have for design and art and creation but also this love of like deep science and deep like just the hardcore science so it just it just fits that it's almost a translational piece of like showing the beauty of physics and the beauty of art like all in the same place so i really kind of applaud you for for finding that yeah uh, that i mean it's great point.
1: that you that you see that because i i didn't mean to put that in there but it's definitely how i operate you know for sure
0: yeah I immediately it spoke to me like, I I don't want to sound waxing poetic. And if, if you're listening at this point in the podcast and you haven't clicked the link below of, of a video of one of the sculptures, I highly recommend you do. Cause I think mo- some people will get it immediately. Some people will not. Right. Um, and I'm sure you have people that see it and they're like, I don't get it. And you're like, that's fine. You don't have to get it. But like most people I hope would be like, wow, this is really cool. Um, Cause there's like a, there's like a visual lightness to it, but there's also like, you know it's a very, like stainless steel is very heavy when when you're using that much stainless steel, right? And then finding ways to keep it. And the nice thing about it, but like, it seems like your sculptures can be indoor, outdoor, uh, you know, wherever they need to go because of the way they're made. Um, Is there a, like, is it mostly commissions? Do you, it sounds like you do a lot of them are just like your ideas and they get placed somewhere or sold or like, what is the kind of mix up right now of like that?
1: So it's, um, it's right now, they're commissions in the sense that we have this giant backlog of pieces we are working on, which is amazing and wonderful, of course, yeah. because it gives me the stability to really run the shop and get not sure. be worried about the overhead and stuff. But but so typically it's a mix of like small editions that are gallery pieces, so they're like pieces that are life size-ish, a little bit bigger mm-hmm. that can go in a crate and go to a gallery. So they're editions of maybe six or so. And so we work through those and somebody orders them through the gallery typically and then we we make that next one in the edition and then in in addition to that we have also these kind of larger projects typically where you know where it's more like i visit the site and you know feel what is required for this place and what would Mm. what how it would benefit from that and almost always it's like the presence of a human somehow because most things we do today is very soulless somehow and and whenever and and it feels always like this like this manifestation of a spirit almost needed or like a soul you know so that's Mm -hmm. that's then what i end up proposing and and if everything goes through then then it becomes reality
0: amazing so is there a recent project uh or installation that you're particularly like fond of or proud of and i don't want you to place like an importance or a favorite but like is there something that you think that like if there is one piece that you think would be a good introduction for people that haven't seen your work to go look at what would what would that be
1: um, so the one piece that comes to mind is when i installed i think in 21 or so in columbus ohio that i'm that was a really kind of a, felt really good to me and important because um it was—it's a group of people in that style we were talking about now, um, five grown-ups and one child, and one holding one chicken. And it's like—it's a cool piece to me because it's—it's it's actually for a social justice park. And what I was mm. trying to propose and convey with this piece is I took actually a group of people here from Portland, um, who have like spearheaded this pretty incredible ballot measure. Essentially, charges very big corporations to get money for, you know, mm-hmm. climate justice. To put it like vaguely, um, yeah. and and I I I'm intrigued by that idea that that there's a group of people that we are. Basically, I I just have to. I'm I'm very bad with words, but we basically yeah. I feel we are one. You know, so there, there's us yeah. and and there's a blob that's the oneness, and 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 it has an aspect where we manifest as one individual, you know, and mm. it's always one of the things being a human being is the, the tricky part that you we mix up our individuality. We, we are egoic and we kind of don't understand that there's this oneness, you know, this beautiful, amazing oneness that because we have all these problems and our children do this and, oh, I need to do that and I'm scared, the stuff we try to get rid of essentially when we do meditation, So Mm -hmm. it really showed this for me. It's almost like when you're a physicist. So when you go in, when you do Bose-Einstein condensation, you have like individual atoms, right? And then you cool them down. Mm -hmm. And at some point it makes, it does click and they become one coherent quantum object with one wavelength. There's no like this Mm -hmm. atom or that atom. You can't, it's no Joe or Jim anymore. Now it's this blob of oneness and it's this phase transition that reveals that. And so it's, it's, it's like that. And in this piece, I also have this chicken in there. So there's the grown-ups of of different, you know, racial, ethnic backgrounds. You can see that in the faces a little bit. And then the kid, mm-hmm. and then it's holding a chicken. It's almost like the the front of a of a boat, the beak. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's you know to to get this feeling that we just need to somehow enlarge those circles of who we call our kin, our you know. Mm-hmm you know our 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 group like there's our family and then our nation and then the world and then sentient beings or whatever you know these circles keep getting bigger and bigger our time these days and that's so interesting
0: mm. it's a really beautiful way you said that about oneness and i think that you know a lot of people try to talk about that these days but don't actually mean it you know they because i think that ego is a huge uh barrier for a lot of people to kind of create these communities of 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 where everyone is truly equal uh not just in terms of socioeconomic status uh not not necessarily that i thought that's not what i meant to say more like in terms of freedom of thought and freedom of individual choice and one in a way of like coming together to solve the big problems right which i think is something that we as americans um really struggle with right um these days especially we're very divided so you know it's uh Interesting to see where that will go, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the what, litmus test is when we punch our neighbor and it hurts ourselves, then we know we are there.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, I think we're already there, unfortunately. Um, or that or we feel it. We feel it on
1: our own, yeah. you know, in our
0: own soul, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And some people don't have that yet, right? And some people won't no. have that. And I think it's just a very large diverse country and diverse in the best way possible and also the worst way possible. Right. Yeah. Um, But it's an asset. It's a
1: huge, amazing asset. You know, diversity is a beautiful, amazing thing. You know, like just look at the jungle. It's just cool.
0: Yeah. Is that one of the reasons why you chose Portland as the location for your studio or what was that kind of reasoning?
1: The, The woman who then became my wife, she, she did her, her graduate thesis here and her whole, her, most of her schooling here in Portland for a number of reasons she's a was a neuroscientist at that time she actually cooked me up to these like proteins i got interested in first when i started out school with sculpture and and i was at a point where i felt like i could leave what i was doing so i moved here without having any expectations i didn't even know the city but i stayed here for over 20 years now
0: yeah it's uh having also being I'm, I'm just north of you right now a couple hours away and i know we tried to make in-person work but one day i'll come visit the studio and uh we'll we'll, we'll have a nice conversation but uh yeah the, there's a certain there's a special thing about the pacific northwest that i've still try to figure out it's like a very good balance of nature and city and arts and good food and the people overall are quite lovely you know um at least from my experience
1: Yes. You just broke up at the very last part. I heard okay. I heard the good food part. That sounded, yeah, I can relate very much. Good
0: food. And I was going to say good food and, and overall very nice people. Um, totally. Totally nice. Not in
1: judgmental too. You know, I feel it's very yes. interesting when I go to Tom Europe, I are. feel, yeah, I feel very much more judged than when I'm here. I, I can let go here much more. It's interesting. For sure.
0: Well, you're also, I mean, being someone from Germany like that's I've so I, I studied abroad in Munich um when I was in college and I found Munich to be like one of the most judgy places I ever lived in my entire life I feel like everyone was judging me about everything what I was wearing what I was saying what I was doing how I was walking it's also a very German thing. like I feel like Germans are very just judgy.
1: unfortunately you're absolutely right
0: but Swiss yeah, do the two. Like, I mean, Swiss and Swiss Austrians,
1: <laughs> but, but, but they are all speaking yeah. German. So I don't think it's a coincidence. There's yeah. something in that culture that, that it, it somehow encourages this, this stuff. And it's, it's very, very dysfunctional.
0: Hmm. Would you ever move back to Germany or somewhere in that part of the world full time? Or are you pretty set on Oregon?
1: you know i i don't know i'm i'm thinking about that i i keep thinking okay where do i want to be like you know when i when i die where would i want to have my grave and that's just like i don't yeah. feel like i want to have it here you know maybe not yet i don't know but i yeah. and i keep thinking about my parents also you know they are now as i said they're already in the 80s so i want to be there for them when they need me more maybe so i i keep having this fantasy of going back somehow but who knows sure. how real that is i have i have no idea
0: it gets easier now. My
1: Yeah, she too. Her dad is from Switzerland, actually. <laughs> and yep. um so she's from from many different places. And and we both have that kind of sense that maybe one day it's it's time to move.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Switzerland is uh especially the Alps. Like there's a town called Wengen in Switzerland. I don't know if you've been there. It's like on the way up the Young Frau like one valley before. I'm sure I just butchered a bunch of names. One Valley before the Eiger or the Matterhorn. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's in the Valley of the Eiger. It's one Valley in front of the, or behind, depending on which way you're looking at it, the, the Matterhorn. Right. But that that area of the world is like, every time I'm there, I'm like, I could, like, if I was buried right there, I'd be pretty happy.
1: About that, I know, you know. It's just an amazing, uh, I, have, I have the same thing when I go there. I had actually yeah. an, an exhibition last year at, in Luzern at the Vierwaldstättersee. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just, there's something about this place. I'm just like, Whoa, it's like, it's, it's just amazing. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. I just, I, every time I go there, I don't want to leave. Like there are many places that like I've been recently that I love. Um, and you know, like the, all the places people want to go, like the, the Chile's and the South Africans and New Zealand's and Australia's. And there's only really been two places in the world where I really don't want to leave. Um, it's Japan and switzerland and then south africa is probably third in that list but like japan Mm. for me just because of the the culture and the people and how grounded they are and how polite it is and just like in terms of an ideal society like they definitely have that nailed um and then switzerland like i care less about like i don't care about zurich i don't find geneva very interesting the best part about geneva is you can go right over into france and have better food um no offense to anyone (laughs) listening from geneva it's true uh one of my good friends from the states lives there because you know he's his, his wife works around like the all the large ngos that are based in geneva um but but the the mountainous part of the austrian alps the swiss alps uh the slovenian alps which i had the julian alps i hadn't been to yet which are amazing even the italian alps like that whole part of the world like there's mm-hmm. a certain magic to it and i can't totally. really figure out yeah. w- what is there totally um so i just i i think i don't know if you saw the most recent uh jurassic park movie it's terrible it's an absolutely awful movie i watch it on like it's one of the movies you watch on a plane when you're on a plane for a very long time something else mm-hmm. to do but the third or fourth in, in movie on a long movie, flight yeah exactly the, the fourth <laughs> film you pick um but uh the reason why i bring it up is because in this movie they were like recreating jurassic park but they did it in the middle of the dolomites and i was thinking in my head i was like if i was like creating some kind of like massive scientific operation i would also do it in the middle of like the dolomites or the swiss alps that'd be awesome you know like yeah. i think they nailed that part of the film and it was mm-hmm. beautiful because was all shot there cool. um so how big is your team now in your workshop like that that helps you get this everything moving and done from like uh creation to I'm sure there's a lot of back end and finance and operations and shipping that needs to be done as well so like what what is the what is the team size
1: It's um on the order of 8 people it, it's 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 always fluctuates a little bit if this this me and then there's one guy who does like technical stuff like the 3D scanning and the, the lighting and stuff and then the fabrication is yeah on the order of five six people
0: that's awesome and there are people that you just uh met along the way or people that came to you or like what was it what was that building that team like
1: i put an ad out you know so it's like it's usually that's mostly how it goes and you know it's it's always yeah. hit and miss you know some people are wonderful some you know just doesn't work out so well
0: hmm hmm any any, any i guess so just because the whole point of this podcast is for me to learn from different individuals and kind of help codify that knowledge to help other people so if there's someone out here um maybe an aspiring artist or someone trying to start their own thing like what what advice would you give for building teams of people that can make beautiful things together like what, what advice would you give
1: I, I you know i'm not really the right person for me that was really hard to do and i I, I early on I, I realized that that if I'm in the studio I can't market and I can't write emails and I can't connect and design. All these things are really really critical. The other thing I can outsource to a certain degree, you know. Um, so I started with that early on that I would just hire someone and, and hope it would work out somehow. Um, I, I think I've seen artists who have a, who are very scared of basically hiring people because they feel that they a, can't focus on stuff because there's somebody else in the space and B, they don't know how to do it as well as them, which is also always true. But, but it depends where you want to go. There's only a few ways to actually make money, which translates into having a living wage. You know, and that is you make an addition or you make big public arts and both is not working without a team. You know, you can't do that. You just cannot scale i don't i don't see unless you charge astronomical amounts for one offs, but that is something you do at the end of your life when you have been successful. you know you don't do it in the beginning. it just doesn't work
0: yeah that actually leads me to my next question, which is like wh- where is this current trajectory headed for you like do you do you want to spend the rest of your life doing this? Do you want to spend some more time going back into physics? Do you want to do both like what is what is that kind of yeah. next 10, i years
1: I definitely life? don't want to do physics, and the reason is I went to actually <laughs> only 10 years or 15 after i'd left physics i went to a to a conference birthday because i, I made a sculpture for zeilinger that he was presented with uh, for his like 70th birthday and i went there and i was like holy crap it has changed so much the field you know i knew what i was talking about then but now it's like whoa it's like it's 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 moved drastically so I, there's no way I, I can catch up and I want to catch up because I'm like, I now I cherish my ability to do whatever I want. I can, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, buy books off eBay and, and expose myself to really strange and interesting things like all the time. That's, that's, you know, I, I, it's almost like my work is like a parallel universe. You know, it, it, it runs its own course. And I do my eight to four essentially which I Mm -hmm. totally enjoy. It's my, my, where I have my piece and I, I juggle 10 different projects at the same time and I'm super hyper focused, but then I go home and I do, I I follow up on stuff that's interesting to me and I'm passionate Mm -hmm. about. And that is like UFOs, paranormal stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. um, psychedelics, like all that kind of stuff. And then I fill in gaps and build my worldview that goes beyond the traditional materialist reductionist paradigm. That's, that's my passion, you know, go beyond that paradigm. That's really what I, how I roll these days. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, that's in my mind what the point of life is to do things for the sake of themselves, right? You're just like following that, that thread, that desire to learn more and do more, which I think that if more people had the chance to do that, I think people would be a lot happier.
1: Absolutely. But that's, I mean, it's two problems. I mean, one is the societal aspects that it's made really hard for us to follow our dreams but we're also human beings. So we're scared. You know, we are always, we're always worried. You know, we, we, we are, we, we like comfort again and we keep doing the same just because we're scared to step outside. We're all guilty of this. Right. So, so it's, 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 it's tricky.
0: Yeah. So so speaking of doing different things, I was looking at your portfolio of work online and there was this one, I'm not sure it was an exhibition or something you did yourself. in 2009 called quantum objects. Um, (laughs) Do you do you want to talk more about? Because to me it looked fascinating. Like I, I thought it was looking yeah. super cool, but I was just I want I want to understand like what was the basis behind that?
1: That that was an exhibition I had at the at the Institute for Physics or whatever it's called in Maryland, Bethesda, mm-hmm. I think. And and they asked me to do this, and I just made a whole bunch of objects that are very directly inspired by different things in quantum physics, which was something I really want to do. It's not what I do today, but but for those, it was really you you could. talk with the physicist about them and and it was very clear what I was trying to say there so that was really fun yeah
0: that's yeah it's it's really cool and and I kind of almost was quizzing myself if I knew what you were talking about or what what you were referring to when you were going through and I think it's one of those things that like a physicist would get a huge kick out of, but most people looking at it would be like, I, I don't, I don't know what this totally. is. Totally. Right? Yeah, is, no, I,
1: I fully realized that, but it was still yeah. really fun to do that, actually. It was early in my, my life, so I was like in, in this career, so I, I wasn't mm-hmm. so bound up in, in having, you know, to fulfill what I've committed to do, so I was like playing sure. around, basically,
0: yeah. Yeah, there is a certain ego that is created with artists where they feel like their work becomes themselves and becomes their vision. But I get the sense from you that that's not the case. Like if you discovered something tangential to what you're doing and can still do what you're doing and you know you have built kind of a market on, I feel like you'd also give that a try as well, right?
1: Not sure I understand this correctly. I, You mean… Can you rephrase that, please?
0: Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I, that was that was that was my fault. So, kind of like, so you have this certain style that you've really dove deep into that is your brand at this point, right? But you seem like someone that isn't like you don't make that a part of your ego. Like I've interviewed artists who like they have one thing and they make it that that is their that is their universe, right? That is the only thing that matters to them, and they only do this one thing. But you seem like someone who's open to doing like different things. But if you wanted to try something out, you would go and do it, right?
1: Yeah, I would. I mean, but it's you know this is this is of course a tricky one because if it's successful and keeps running, it mm-hmm. absorbs a lot of your energy, and sure. and then find something that is as appealing to you that's very different. You know, that's a big potential threshold before that. But I I, I like to think that I'm I, I would do that. I am doing stuff on the side, of course, to try out new things. But I, yeah. I just, I'm, as a personality, I just don't identify myself so much with what I'm doing. I just have this kind of yeah. lucky streak that I, I'm not so ego-driven.
0: That's, that's, that's great. Because a lot of people I interview with the same little success you've had with art and sculpture are the opposite, right? I know. Uh, unfortunately. As I'm sure the people you meet at some of these, you know, events and fairs and galleries. Yes,
1: absolutely. And it's it. annoying as hell. <laughs> but I think, I think there's yeah. also reason for that. You know, as an artist, to be to insist that you are important and that what your vision is is needs to be materialized. i mean you have you have to be kind of nuts you know if you yeah. i don't know like <laughs> like lady gaga for example i i know few people their their mindset is is almost like a survival mechanism or a, a condition for being able to make it that big yeah. you know so i i don't really blame them for that but i feel it's it's you know it would be it's a bit of a blemish unfortunately
0: hmm. that's a that's a very good way of looking at it Um, Are there any, let me phrase this differently. I feel like you're someone who either plays musical instruments or has like a deep appreciation for music. Is that accurate? Well,
1: my family, they're all into music. You know, my sister's a singer, my mother's a violin player, and my father loves just mostly like music. It's just, I was never, I, I can't really listen to music so well because I can't focus then. And mm-hmm. if I do, I tend to be too involved with it. Like classical music, kind of like stresses me out a little bit because it's it's powerful. Yeah. And yeah. and I I was the only one. My parents and my sister they go into concerts like almost every day, It's like crazy. And I just like I can't, wow. I can't do this. I I'm, I just am not mm-hmm. built to survive two hours of like music sitting still. And um, but it's it is an amazing, wonderful thing. I've tried a number of instruments. I played at least six, I think, or five. And I sucked at them so bad because I just couldn't practice. You know, I was just too lazy.
0: (laughs) I couldn't do it. (laughs) Interesting. But also singing, singing too. I did singing too, which was really Mm -hmm. wonderful, actually. Yeah, Singing is wonderful. And I think it's something that everyone can, there are obviously different levels of singing and that everyone can reach the highest of highs of singing capability. But I think everyone can sing. You just have to learn how to Yes. It's so cool. Yeah.
1: About singing, the main amazing thing is that it's your voice and there's nothing you can do about it. It's your voice. It's you. And there's something beautiful. And also, you know, well, you can't really fix it if it's not so great.
0: Yeah. And there's less of a universal uh, objective standard. Like, with violin, which has probably, is probably one of the most standardized instruments, like, there is a right way to do every single thing, and you are constantly judged against this, like, monolith, right? And that's yeah. super unhealthy, and that's why, like, all the people I knew that went to musical for violin, they're, like, very high-strung, no pun intended, but they're, like, literally, like, super high-strung people, right? Right, um, yeah. And, and, because you have to be if you want to be competitive right exactly and um, it's it's
1: unfortunate to a certain degree because it is almost like this this attractor in a mathematical sense is very well defined it's like because now everybody is so damn good at it you know it used yeah. to be a little different i think there was more space for individualistic kind of playing for sure like orchestras yeah. used to be different they had a tone you know each of the now orchestras all sound the same Sounds with the exception same. of maybe a handful
0: yeah yeah like i you know you used to go to see London or Philadelphia or right. Vienna and you knew that there was a certain, you know, they, they play Bach this way. They play Beethoven exactly. this way. And that was just right. their style. And nowadays right. it's more like everyone's trying to do what it's almost everyone's copying London or Vienna at this point Yeah, in my, from yeah. my listening. Cause so I, I used to play an orchestra. So I, 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 was just curious myself, but, um, but I was always playing the timpani. Like I was, a, I was I like, I like hitting things, you know? Um, but uh, Yeah and and so kind of going through that i think you did you see the movie tar with um i forget who's one of the recent movies in the in the oscar cycle is about the woman who's like the world famous orchestra conductor and she kind of slowly loses her mind um no that was it's very i think you should watch it because it's a, a lot of what you said is very made very clear about this like almost whitewashed literally and figuratively perspective of what classical music has become it's less it's less like an art form it's less like what it was a couple hundred years ago and it's more like a you must adhere to this exacting thing of what people think it should sound like which is not music right um there's like a beauty of a cover you know you ever like there are a couple good songs that everyone's heard like stairway to heaven is a good example Mm -hmm. um And there are a lot of really bad covers of the song, but there are a lot of really beautiful covers that kind of take it and it becomes something new, right? And although I'll believe like the original is the best, I think that like some of these uh, variations of the original are interesting to to experience, right? Yeah. So are there, um, I don't know if it just cut out or not. Are there any um, artists that you particularly look up to right now in the world? Uh, you
1: know, I, I I have some that I like a lot, but it's like, I, I, it sounds really weird, but I don't really care about art so much. I, <laughs> I as in, that. like, you know, it's not my. It's I don't go seek out looking at art. I mean, I, I'm yeah. I'm I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that. But it's no, like it's for not, me. It's I'm like, not... yeah, you know, yeah. I, at some I find really interesting. But I also I remember when I used to draw and paint a lot, and I was mm-hmm. kind of it screwed my mind up to look at all this other art because I would measure my it's well like in the classical music I would start to yeah. kind of like you know adhere like try to be this you know and, and, and mm-hmm. instead of like pushing it away and seeing what is it that wants to come up you know
0: got it I like that yeah, also the art is world the is also yeah yeah yeah
1: and the art world's also kind of actually uh, a sort of dysfunctional place often, you know, there's lots of like Very weirdness going on. And it's like, I don't really need to <laughs> expose myself yeah. to this more than I yeah. have to anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you make a good point. And, and so I'll, I'll make an allusion because I actually had this conversation this morning, one of the things that I am paid the most to do, and it happens the most often is work on pitch decks, because in a startup, that is like the thing, right, is how you raise money, but also it's a document in which you are forced to think about what the product is, what problem you're solving, who's going to work on it, how long it takes. Like it, it, it you you figure everything out in this like very concise way. And as you know, like simplifying something is way harder than doing a lot, right? And so I, I told people, people are like always saying, oh, let me send you some decks that have ideas that I like in them. And I always go, no, I don't want to see that because like, I don't want to cloud my mind with like a thousand examples of what, what could become. I just need to like create it and create it what it is. And people look at me like, Rob, it's a fucking pitch deck. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't be this like artistic thing, but I disagree because like I've had this experience raising money for these startups and the the model I use works. I'm not using a template. I'm not using Canva. I'm not using what I see. I'm just creating something new that's just a simplification of what is already there. And, and investors, all they want to see is the clearest path to understanding value, right? And if you can do that in a beautiful way, then you've succeeded, right? Makes perfect sense, yeah. So um, is there a sculpture that you're working on now or one that's kind of in the hopper coming up in the future that you're like particularly excited about working on?
1: Yeah, I have actually a whole bunch of projects which I haven't really, actually one or two I've designed pretty much, but I'm excited. I'm getting a whole batch of, of, of colored, Co- uh, like it's it's a stainless steel that has a a, a coating that that ma- makes a color it's basically like a patina in the sense mm-hmm. that it is i think it works mostly by interference because there's a thinness or a thick thin film and then it mm-hmm. it, it it you know it, it interferes such that only one wavelength or like a narrow band is, is put back in your eye and, and, and there are oh, some really cool, cool colors so I'm i'm getting these and i'm i just came up with an idea how to combine it with my other approach which was mm-hmm. to, I, something I, I couldn't envision before because you ruin this finish when you've weld and sand but i mm-hmm. now realize how i can do it and so so I'm, I'm i'm that's that's actually a whole bunch of works that i'm i'm about to do
0: cool yeah because i was about to mm. ask that question i was like if it's a if it's a thin film then you can't weld it or sand no. it which is everything what you do right so exactly be, I, yeah, I, but I'm, not... I'm excited to see how you do that so
1: not everything. I mean, the trick is basically that I keep it on the inside colorful, you know, mm-hmm. so it will in- indirectly show the light, but you shouldn't even talk about it, but that's what, I, what I'm doing I and I'll, I'll okay. hope it's going to look awesome. I'll let you
0: do it. Cool. And <laughs> okay. then so what, from start to finish, what is um, like a timeline usually? Like the, the sculpture you did in Columbus, which is a, quite a large sculpture, right? And a very large piece. How long did that take from start to finish in terms of like man hours and time?
1: Gosh, the man, hours. I mean, it's so hard. I know the fabrication times exactly, even though I, when I look them up, that is. Typically, yeah. it takes three, two or three years for a large project, one to three years, I'd say, for a big public art piece. And yeah. then my, my time to design it is kind of a, I have no clue, because I do it on and off and on and off, and then suddenly two weeks completely, and then I don't keep track of it. But it's on the order of a few hundred hours, no doubt. Probably... Yeah probably more but they're probably under a thousand
0: sounds like thousand okay yeah i
1: would say maybe it's it's about a thousand but that's because it's probably comparable to the fabrication time which is on that same order it's like you know also like i don't know we just work on this five foot piece which is smallish but it's a it's a commission for a university and we just we're at 540 hours and we're about half in so that will be over a thousand and that's actually not a big piece at all so Mm. Who knows? It's probably more like a big one is probably more like two thousand hours, I would imagine. But somewhere there. Wow.
0: And that's the fabrication time of the, the pure fabrication and the, and the sanding. Yeah. Sanding,
1: lots of sanding, yeah. I and polish sanding, at yeah. the I mean, end.
0: The, the, the polish. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. At the end, you have the, the all the yeah. discoloration from the heat, and that that is really hard to get off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. And so you people, I'm sure, that to spend weeks and weeks and weeks of their life every year polishing things, right? So if not longer, so yeah so are you breaking uh, up here, i think i might yes. just cut out it's okay i'm going to turn on okay. low data mode so we uh could do that feeling so um is this on uh, my side
1: here is the, i i don't know what i can do different i'm not on vpn i think so i don't think
0: no i'm not you're so good, you're good. it, it, sh- it okay. should be good to go yeah we're, we're perfect um so going okay. back to that so i was asking like do do the the fabricators in your team um are they sometimes like do you have one person that's focused on welding, one person working focused on sanding, one that does polish? Are they all like very skilled craftsmen that can each kind of pick up and help in different areas? And they're all welding, they're all sanding, they're all et cetera. How, how do you kind of syntax the, the, yeah, the team? Yeah, I mean,
1: the, the, the la- there's typically natural roles that people like gravitate towards. But overall, the goal is always to get everybody on every skill level up so the idea is that one person makes one sculpture or maybe two you know but but that's always for me preferred because it just feels right you know i don't like when it's so mm-hmm. like like ford assembly line style i like it when there's a yeah. piece and you put your heart in it and and it's on you mm-hmm. to do it right you know i think that that yeah. works much better I'm, yeah. It's for me. It's yeah. like an interesting workflow because I'm sitting right next to the metal fabrication in the same building. So we, I run around all the time, and I'm always in touch with how it's happening and what the what the dynamics
0: is. Yeah, I was going to say it's like I I think the Ford assembly line was a great analogy because I think about it like a an engine you'd put in a Volkswagen uh gti compared to like what you know a, a lamborghini or a ferrari or a bugatti would use this like there's usually one person whose job is to build this engine over a few weeks and then it's done and they go right. on another yeah one, you know, yeah that's on how i prefer it and also i think that's important for a, a system as complex as your sculptures or an engine because if you have someone that is coming in and picking up the last thing if something wasn't done in the previous step properly then the next thing won't work well and if the same person isn't having that continuity then you're going to make problems right Exactly,
1: um, exactly. Yeah, a good example is if we, if we purge while we're welding, then there's less to do when you later clean. You yeah. know, so the, they are connected, the steps, of course.
0: Interesting. And, and the, it seems like the people you have working for you love doing it. Like they're, they're, they're like almost like a second family to you from what the vibe I get is.
1: You know... I, I can't really. I, I don't know. I mean, I hope they love it. You know, I hope that it's it's mm-hmm. a it's it's a mutual, it's a symbiosis of of sorts. You know, so it's it's not an easy yeah. job. You know, it's it's metal fabrication is really hard. Eight hours a day, forty hours a week, is is not not for everyone. But um, I hope I can give them what they need in their life, and I get from them what I need. So.
0: That's a yeah. very beautiful and slightly German way of looking at it. <laughs> no offense. But that's just a very... <laughs> there's not, not output, everything right?
1: German is bad.
0: <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of German things. Beer, mainly being the first thing that comes to my head. That's very good. Um, but wh- where, in, uh, where in Germany did you grow up? Hamburg. Hamburger. Okay. Yeah. Um, I always... I know. I, I I realized I just said hamburger afterwards because I said, I was wanted to say hamburg because I, I have a friend who lives there, but I don't know why I just said hamburger. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think I'm hungry. Yeah, it's also that. Um, yeah, actually, I, th- I think um, I should connect you to, and he's actually been on this podcast. He is the founder of a company called Heimplanet, Planet and they make these inflatable tents. So instead of having tent poles, they have these like baffles that get filled with air using a pump. And this creates like a rigid structure that is nearly impossible to break. Like they could pop, but they're not gonna bend or break or snap. And Mm -hmm. so these really beautiful like geodesic structures that I found are super easy to set up and super easy to bring down and are near impervious to any kind of conditions. Um, I brought mine around the world with me at this point and it is the best tent I've ever used and it's not even close. Um, So
1: you pump it up?
0: Yeah, you pump it up. Um, It's basically like, um, I would show it to you if if the video is on, but um, like imagine, I guess I'll describe this for you as well as describing it for the audience. So imagine a standard tent, um, but instead of where the poles go, you have these like baffle, these welded baffles that can hold air in the place of the, pulls themselves and when, you infl- and when you inflate the baffles with air they become rigid and because there's a pre-descripted structure they follow that structure rigidity creates the necessary um like basis to have a tent that can withstand high winds and lots of rain and etc cetera, etc cetera. if if I, I will um just for just for uh argument's sake I'll, I'll i'll throw you an image in the chat so you can uh so you you can see it but so, uh, i'll link an image below for anyone else sorry
1: so so it's like an insecurity structure where the where the the elements that withstand push are basically inflated correct and and the rest is like like just an ordinary tent
0: canvas correct correct yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm, cool. I'm dropping you a link right now in the chat that you can you can look at because i would love to see uh um that uh Oh, interesting. It's allowed me to chat with you. Okay. Well, we'll talk. Well, I'll, I'll show you after. But regardless, cool. you know, people can see it below. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's. And the reason why I bring it up because I find Hamburg to be like one of those cities in Germany that like all the Germans I know that are hyper creative came from that region. And I don't know why. Do you maybe know why? Like, that's just I, something that's I find super interesting in my I,
1: life. I never, I never noticed anything like this i i I have a bit of a mixed relationship with hamburg i don't like it a whole lot but mm. that's an interesting thing i noticed for some reason but that might be just a coincidence there's two people one one is like anthony gormley his mom is from hamburg who is a very, very famous sculptor and alexis ohanian who is the you know the founder, yeah. one of the founders, read it. His his mom is yeah. also from Hamburg. So I, I was like, oh, that's strange. This just mm-hmm. happened to me, and I figured that out somehow.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in the water. Maybe it's a certain style of education growing up. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know.
1: It's you know, um, it's it's traditionally a city that has been. It's, it's called Freie in Hansestadt Hamburg, it, so it was a Hanse city. So it was uh, they always made their money by, and they made good money by by trading with people far away so they were needed to kind of figure out how other people Mm. operate and they had they made quite a bit of money which is also always like a necessary condition often to get culture and stuff like that like extra stuff basically going so maybe those those things berlin was always very different you know it was it's it's land bound it's like prussian Mm. it's a completely different mindset
0: very different yeah. Yeah. I'm actually like people, people wax poetic about Berlin. I really don't care for Berlin, Berlin that much. Like I just don't, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit my fancy. I don't know. Like I just, yeah. You know, it's, it's I not lived for six
1: years be. in Berlin. Or, yeah. It's, it's a tricky city. I mean, it's a very rough city. People are extremely funny, but without, wanting to be funny they have this very yeah. funny accent and, and they right. do puns all the time but they are extremely rough and anno- annoying as hell very often like i Weiwei, yeah. the chinese artist he lived there for a few years and then he got kicked out of the taxi i think for the third time and then he was just, i had enough and i left and he left because <laughs> Why he was, he was I, I, a taxi? I think he talked on facetime with his mom in chinese loud i think that was the last incident
0: and yeah, the taxi crazy. driver
1: typical berlin taxi driver was like da. Eh, eh, eh.
0: Yeah, yeah, get out. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, th- I think so. Munich, That's what I, yeah. what I read. Interesting. So, like, being in Munich, which is obviously like the largest southern city in Germany, and like it's a big engineering and manufacturing, and you have and you have like BMW is based there, and you know the Olympics were there. I always found that to be like a much more like open. Kind of cosmopolitan-ish city in the way that of like how it viewed like art and culture and would just felt like friendly and nice and for Germany and then I went to Berlin and I was like this is not this is like the polar opposite of Munich like I was like I don't yeah I don't know how I feel yeah. about this um, no but I mean so, I have
1: never lived in Munich but but I know it a little bit it's it's very different it's Bavarian. But it's mm-hmm. interesting. Bavaria tends to be more conservative. It's like the south of the United States a little bit in that yeah. sense. So they're more like about us, and and they don't really they're a little xenophobic just in in their structure. And, mm-hmm. and I but, but at yeah. the same time, they have also these pockets of communist kind of glass blowing communities in Bavaria and, and Munich yeah. itself was was an SPD. That was uh, the, the left, the Socialist Democratic Party was pretty strong there always. So. It's it's not typical for Bavaria in many respects. And also, I think there's many people because of BMW and then what Franz Josef Strauss did after the war is they he lured in all these companies. So they have a lot of expat or different people from different places, which changed yeah. the whole setup, I think.
0: Yeah, it's, there's a surprising number of flights that fly into cities in the south of Germany from the United States airports. Um Munich and uh, Stuttgart are are like two of the biggest destinations for a lot of, especially automotive and other types of, there's a bunch of aerospace as well. Um, But yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I actually, so this was by accident, but last summer when I was in Munich, just walking around and I was waiting for my girlfriend because she was on a different trip with her friends in greece and I, we were going to meet up in munich then get in a car and go drive through the alps um and munich's a great place to do that because it's where like six is based the big german car rental companies so they have like thousands of cars for cheap um just as a fyi for anyone out there looking to rent a cheap car and go explore the alps um but uh i ended up saying at this hotel near the airport and the airport's like in the middle of the countryside. Um, and it was nice because like I would go on these long walks on these paths and like they're the most German paths ever. They're like perfectly manicured um, in the middle of nowhere and no one uses them. Um, but it was beautiful because you'd be going through these like rolling countryside and grasslands. And I don't know. I just, I just, I find Germany a very fascinating place that I've spent not enough time in, but every corner of Germany seems to have a very different flavor just like the united states you
1: know for sure yeah i mean it's, it's yeah. not so long ago that it used to be all different tribes and, and different currencies sure. and different everything you know that's it's has been united not for so long
0: yeah yeah it's, it's 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 very interesting um so kind of switching gears a little bit and and kind of going deeper into sorry what to say something
1: yeah can you turn on your camera again it's really irritating for me yeah. to not see you sure. <laughs> sorry Yeah, sorry. i'm very I'll visual
0: <laughs> I'm a very visual person too so if, okay. if it cuts out uh, people listening I'm sorry i I uh, something oh, I actually haven't out. really mentioned before is like I don't like to edit the podcast like I want it to be as raw as possible very rarely someone will say can you pull something out can you redact something I said something I don't want to be out there but most of the time I wanted to be raw and like some people have said like oh just so you know in the podcast you spend a minute trying to get back and Make sure that people understood what was happening. And I was like, I think that's part of a conversation because, like, if we were doing this live or we were sitting in a room, like, these things are going to happen, right? Like, they're just like a natural thing. I'm sorry for turning off my video. It was just to, to ensure bandwidth, but I agree with you. It's no, I understand. Yeah. Conversation. Um, just to kind of fulfill a, a previous thing we were talking about, I realized that the tent I was talking about is in the magazine right in front of me. Now that my video is back on, it looks like that. So you have, oops so you have oh, this, got it cool like, so the rigid the rigid
1: structures yeah. on the outside
0: yes yeah that yeah and that's, cool. and that's and yeah. that's and they're they're these little baffles and so basically like when you want to when you want to set up the tent all you do is you just kind of lay it flat and then they make a couple different pumps so you can use like a like a car pump or an electric pump and it'll just um you know, fill the entire thing in like a minute and it's the 10 set up and you just stake it in the ground. And when you want to unset it up, you just open the valves and they just all empty out. It's great. That's Mike, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 And they, and they hold the patent on it. And the cool thing about it is I think, so going back to our, our Hamburg talk, talk, um, he was saying that they, their first round of startup money to build the product was given to them by the government because they have this like really big innovation grant system where like people can apply to create companies and products uh, around things that would help people or become like profitable and functional businesses, um, which I f- found interesting. Maybe, maybe that's part of it as well. I don't, I don't know. It just sounds very.
1: That, that, that's cool. typically German, though. I mean, I, I also yeah, for fair. film when you make a film, there's Förderung, like like grants. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. the art in general also is much more grant driven, I think, than in the US. It's my understanding. I've never really worked as an artist mm-hmm. over there, but but it definitely sounds like it.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you know, I'm deep in the startup culture here and there are very few places in this country where you can apply to get money to be used for even something that would be a potentially world-changing, world-saving invention. It's all private. You know, it's right. all usually wealthy individuals giving money. And there are some pretty amazing ideas out there that come from absolutely nothing. Um, like I, I was highlighting one to you and it's, it's the example I like to use. and I don't think I've ever told it on the podcast. So I'll use it to, to kind of, Prove a point, but there is a research project at Caltech. Um, if people aren't listening, the California Institute of Technology is probably the one of the world leading research facilities in the world, especially in certain realms. And they've recently, like biotech, has become their kind of niche. Um, and alongside many of the things, like they're great at physics, as you know very well, I'm sure. Um, they're great at uh, 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 engineering as well in aerospace, but this idea came out of this, this research that roundworms, these parasitic worms that live in people's intestines are prevalent in many third world countries around the world. And most people, if you were to take the average sample of people in the South, Southeast Asia, have them in their bodies. Um, and they realized that there were certain types of diseases that don't proliferate in those cultures. And they found that the one common thread was these roundworms. So they realized that there was there are, there must be some type of therapies or enzymes inside these roundworms that stop the proliferation of things like asthma and IBS and Crohn's, which are things that in the US and Europe peeps, many people suffer from every single day. So they're trying to harness those bioreactors and enzymes inside these worms to create therapies to help alleviate and solve these problems. And that to me is like, that's, that's a world changing, brilliant thing. And they had no problem raising money right obviously because it's it's brilliant and it has legs and it's scientifically viable but like in a country like germany like i'm sure the government would love to sponsor that but in the us no it's like that's not going to happen which is unfortunate um, yeah but, I think that's cause... just a
1: difference in, in in the you know in the mentality. It's like the Americans tend to believe more in the cap- capital market in the market forces, and mm-hmm. the Germans or the Europeans, I think generally, tend to believe in in structure in a in a government-made kind that's of thing. Sure. Yeah.
0: But I even argue that like I'd say Germany is more capitalistic than the US is, because at least the past 20 years in the US, we live in a system where the gains are privatized, and the losses are socialized it 's like the worst part of both sides of the coin. you know, like nowhere else in the world can a company get bankrupt, be bailed out by the government that the taxpayers pay for, and then use that money to become richer, and then just pay themselves more money like, that's insane. You know, totally like that 's insane totally that shouldn 't happen yeah yeah, yeah. and, and, and there 's so, much
1: like, more <laughs> examples i mean, but that are not as obvious like like if you look at how meat production works, I mean mm. we externalize the costs but we basically. We all carry the costs, but but the companies are basically um, pretend that that this meat is actually this cheap, but or, or the, because the soy is subsidized or the corn is subsidized, and it's all it's all oh, basically yeah. a totally rigged system in favor yeah. of those money interests that have been accumulating power over all these years. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I uh, one of the first companies I worked for was called Indigo, and it was a it was an ag tech company and. I walked in there and I I, started, I was working on corn. That was like the main like kind of helping technologies around the corn crop. And I was talking to one of the heads of division when I was like first, my first day. And he's like, I'm picking up something that I think is like a very common misunderstood thing about corn in the US. And we need to talk about it. He's like, what percentage of corn grown do you think is used for food? And I said, I don't know, maybe... 60 70 percent he's like it's less than one percent 99 percent is used for ethanol is used for ethanol or filler or feed or some other thing that you don't think it goes to and i was like well that makes no sense he's like because the government subsidizes all of it and exactly. it's, it's a crop that's yeah. very easy to grow that's also very damaging to the soil um and people grow it because the government pays for it and it, it kind of opened my mind at that point and i realized and i and through working there i only worked there for five months because i really didn't like it um like the entire system and every single aspect of a big industry, especially agriculture, especially produce, especially that is all rigged. It's, it's all rigged and it's terrifying, you know, completely completely
1: terrifying. It's, it's devastating effects. Since this farm bill in the seventies, it's basically has been going down this road for sure.
0: Right. Like the, the ethanol requirement in fuel and cars is only because of the government backing up ethanol and they have to, but there's only a certain yeah. amount of cow and horse and pig feed they need. and The rest needs to go somewhere. Put it in the cars. You know, like that's insane. So, Brilliant. Yeah. Y- yeah. And there's like it's like, so many it's like other school. school if
1: you look at school feeding, like how they, the school cafeterias, how they require yeah. they basically take all that shit from the from this like horribly produced stuff and 40s, yeah. and shove yeah. it into their kids. It's
0: oh, insane. Oh, God it's awful and i think uh it was what's the it's the nbc show parks and rec uh you know a great comedy show and there's this great episode where um like a band of government officials from venezuela come to town and they all say they're like can you show us where you fatten all your kids with all the artificial sweeteners that you make like you do it better than any other country you want to learn how you do it um and it was like a very funny joke but it's like it's true (laughs) it's it's spot on you know and that's yeah and you know, now that I spend most of my time, at least the past few weeks, working on food systems and permaculture and creating ways for people to go back to growing some of their own produce and re- relying on their their local community to produce food for them, um, it's really kind of showed me that like it's we're not it's not hard to get back into that. Um, this this company I'm working for recently, their whole idea is like most Americans have grass lawns. Um, and their grass is an incredibly hard crop to keep alive and it requires a lot of nutrients and a lot of air and a lot of sun and a lot of water. Right. And it's ironically, not very much more than you could actually use for plants that are actually making food and producing things that, and, and help their local environment and the people living in it. Right. And so the argument is, what if we convinced people to replace some of their lawn with a food forest, which is actually a pretty brilliant idea, right? It's like, let's, let's have people say, Hey, stop worrying about your lawn. And now you're going to, you know, grow fruits and vegetables and other things that you can use that your community can use to better live better lives. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that I think is like the future.
1: I think so too. Yeah. And it's happening. I mean, you see it here in Portland, you see it definitely popping up more and more of pollinators, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Portland and Seattle, where we are both mainly based, and I'm between here and my girlfriend's farm in upstate New York. Um, but uh, it it's they're definitely more forward thinking in that realm than a lot of other places in the U.S. You know, like where uh, I think Portland and Seattle are are two of the most like Seattle is 99% of sure Portland's like 94% powered by renewable energy from all the the dams oh. and solar and wind mm-hmm. that we have, and it's awesome right and like that's not the case you know everywhere else um, and there are many political candidates because I think there was a debate last night um, that still believe that like fossil fuels are required to live the life that we want which is so wrong on so many levels um, that it, it scares me honestly um, but yeah. what can you do right
1: good question what can you do what can you do?
0: Yeah. So, so, um, kind of switching gears slightly, cause I want to understand a little bit more about you. Um, this is a question I started asking recently and you're allowed to pass on it if you don't want to talk about it, but, um, is there a darker experience in your life, um, that you're willing to talk about and how you overcame that period and like maybe built systems around how to, um, limit those types of events in your life. If That makes sense.
1: Yeah, there there was a very dark experience in my life. I lost my brother when I was 13 and he was 15. He committed suicide. And that was, Sorry I mean, I, that. I, I, it's not something you can like work on avoiding in the future, but it was definitely, I mean, enormous, brutal, you know, learning experience. You know, you... Um, you you expect you you are transitioning from childhood into grown up into adulthood, and you have this role model that that shows you the way. And when that falls away, then you suddenly are the oldest, which is a totally different position in the family dynamics. I have a younger sister as well, and I it's funny. I I gave I talked in a podcast the other day, and my wife actually listened to it later, and she was like, I don't know how she said it, but it, essentially she conveyed to me that it almost sounded that not talking about this was in a way wrong because i talked about motivation and blah blah and this and that and Mm -hmm. it's such a key experience in my life you know it's so it's such an eye opener of of like such a profound magnitude it's like and it's very hard to even put into words it's not only that that it that it's triggered this lifelong search of what is beyond this one physical life here but motivation you know the the courage to do whatever i want why is it you know just also to let go you know to just like be like we are here it's a it's a it's a blessing and we we've we've got to do something with this you can't just waste your time or just like you know every moment is precious and i'm certainly far away from being always like this that i have this in my mind i do lots of stupid things that are not necessary but but, but it, it, it gave this amazing impulse into my life. And you know, I'm really grateful to my brother for that, even though it was, mm-hmm. of course, a horrible tragedy and, and a devastating thing for the whole family.
0: Yeah, but I, I, th- I think that the purpose of why I like asking this question is because I find that some of the most creative and grounded people, which I would qualify you for both those things, have had these catalyzing experiences that are usually very traumatic um, and very sad. Right. Yeah. Um, cause I think it almost, you know, you were talking about motivation and like how to keep moving and how to keep doing. And, and I think in order to understand that, and like, there are so many podcasts like that, or just people want to talk about, like, give me the top 10 things you do to stay motivated or like, tell me about the things or they'll ask you the question that like you've been asked a thousand times. Right. But, but my whole thing is like, <clears throat> I want to understand the person, but beyond that. Right. And so kind of looking back at that situation, do you, do you think your brother was depressed? Do you think that there was some kind of um, you know, chemical imbalance that, that, that caused him to maybe believe that that was the only way out? Or do you think it was a social thing? Or what, what have you come to understand since then?
1: I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he was, would have qualified as, as depressed in a clinical sense, possibly. You know, he was a pretty normal kid, you know. And, and my parents... Are, you know, I'm not perfect, but they're wonderful parents. You know, the way I grew up yeah. was like in a way as good as it gets, you know, in many respects. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to know every all our needs were met. You know, I mean, what else can you ask for in this life? But um, what he quoted in his in his like letter. Mm. He said, I have a, an F, which is the, the great in, uh, translated into English, an F in English and chemistry. And he doesn't see a possible a possible way path forward. Basically. I mean, of mm. course, as a 15 year old, you're, you're crazy. You know, you don't know anything, but you <laughs> yeah, do I think, you think you know everything. Yeah, for um, sure. But, but, but yeah, that it's just, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. You know, I, I thought that, oh, if he had not done this, then as a grown-up, he would maybe be in the drug addict or somehow had a miserable. I don't, I honestly have no clue. Absolutely mm. no clue.
0: Yeah, that is a, uh... I've I've had a few unfortunate friends and people close to me that have committed suicide. I think I spoke to my mom about this recently. Where you think about you follow through that line as you just talked about is like this person was so troubled, maybe they would have hurt someone else, or like actually like like physically hurt someone else, or something could have happened that would have been. Uh, I'm not saying that like suicide isn't impactful, but I'm saying like sometimes there are people that do things. I'm not saying your brother would be willing to do this, but I think you know what I'm saying. It's just like that. It's like, maybe he he could have been this that would have led to that. And it's always interesting to think about, but you never know, right? Like he could have, you could have turned it around. Like there are good examples. Tim Ferriss, is a good example of someone who like had a full plan was about to kill himself. And then something miraculously happened and he turned his life around and like openly talks about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what we need to do as society. I think that a lot of society, um, and it's becoming more and more open, especially places like Portland and Seattle, where people are like talking about their trauma and talking about these things that have happened. And like, you know, I have someone as well that like I came really close to that edge myself. And so that's why I'm always so open talking about it. And some people are very, like they always kind of hold their hands up and start shaking when we talk about these kinds of things. But I think it's, it's scary. Important. It's terrifying. absolutely
1: It's critically important. It's not so, I think... Talking about the trauma is almost like a symptom of of something more deep, which is to open your heart, to be able to have a heart based connection rather than a head based connection. I think that's one of those symptoms of our time that we're heading towards. That and we urgently need to do it in order to save ourselves, you know, in this this place here.
0: Yeah, just I I, I guess a question I've asked a few other people. Um... And I feel like you're someone who might have some good insight is like, what do you think we can do as individuals to help people, you know, realize how much impact they can individually have on not only society, but the planet and everything else we're doing? Like, like, how do you, cause like so many people I think want to do good, but don't know how, or have been brought up in a system where they feel like it's not possible, you know, like, what, what is that? I
1: think The one key thing that we're exploring now and that's happening these days is, is, you know, psychedelics, ancient Mm. plant medicines that that open our eyes, you know, make us understand how these things are connected, how my own perception of my body affects my body, how... How do these karmic chains happen? I mean, what is it that's beyond the egoic thing? I mean, this—what what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be nourished by this planet? This body is like every atom we have, we call our me, my body, is like borrowed from the earth and then we die and we give it back. You know, what is it that yeah. goes beyond? I mean, all that stuff is one of these, I think, key ingredients is, is our lost tra- um, connection to psychedelic medicines.
0: Mm. have you so have you experimented experimented yourself with psychedelics sounds like the answer is yes yeah and and being in portland and seattle it's really easy to some places in the country it's very hard to but luckily where we live it's uh it's super easy. so i've had a few podcasts that have just you know with especially creative people that started off as one thing and then turned into a full-blown episode on psychedelics uh and like i have one good (laughs) podcast that comes to mind i'll link it below um where uh um he, I, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name, but he lives down in Bend, Oregon. And he basically, we walk through this like 30 minute long section on like, you're someone who's interested in psychedelics, um, but you're like unsure of where to start right and he kind of walks through like this is what you're looking for sometimes some people might want to do it through therapy as a first step um some people might want to have some kind of shaman or shepherds be able to do it themselves you know but like there are many ways into it just like find the right exit on the highway that works best for you and just start playing with it but i agree with you like unlocking certain parts of our head and uh one guy also the podcast sam rubens um and uh ruben sorry Um, Rick Rubin, Sam Rubin, Sam Rubin, um, he lives down in the Bay Area and he every few years goes down to the Amazon and goes on these like 30 day spiritual journeys and they have like bring him to a village and the village uh, leader is also the person that mixes these drugs and they go through these experiences and he told me about some of the best experiences and also some of the worst experiences some of the most like you know he's basically chattering shaking in a ball on the floor of this you know primitive structure for 7 days straight because he's just so terrified from what this is doing to him so but i think they're mm-hmm. all you know he he is someone as well that was you know Uh, at one point on that brink of depression and suicide and it really helped him lend perspective and now he's almost like an advocate for these types of things but i agree with you i think i think it is something that's becoming more and more accepted mainstream and i don't even care if it's accepted or not i just think people are opening up their minds to the possibility of of like thousands of years of civilization benefited from it why can't we you know?
1: Yeah, I think people so, also okay. tend to forget. We think of the Amazon, the the Amazon, and the you know the the maybe Siberia. But but the fact is that it, it's it's pretty unavoidable the conclusion that our whole what a whole civilized Western civilization, you know, democracy, theater, and philosophy, all that stuff is based on on thousands of years of 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 um, Psychedelic type mystery rites, you know, the illusion mysteries and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That has been going on till the first maybe 300 years of Christianity, and was going on since 2,000 sure. years before that. Um, it's yeah. not a coincidence that that Plato and all these people, we we trace our our like culture back to like have been informed and and deeply profoundly changed by these experiences.
0: Yeah, and I I just try and my goal now is to push more and more people towards these experiences, right? And I think I think because a lot of modern culture has vilified some of these things and some people, like I was having a conversation and someone was like mentally, and they were doing this unconsciously, but they were like comparing in their head like a meth or a heroin to like psychedelics in terms of like how it could affect them. And I I always stopped them and I said, no, like, you know, so, some of these drugs are built for addiction and destruction. Right. Like heroin is a good example. Meth is a great example. Right. Um and the point of those drugs is to get high, right? Is to maintain a high to have this experience that isn't always the most positive. But psychedelics are these naturally occurring things. Like, I mean, you know, pop heroin from poppy seeds is is like, you know, uh, opioid, right? Is 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 a naturally occurring thing. But like what people buy in the streets, it's not naturally occurring. Like that's like it has to be made in a lab or a Quote, unquote lab usually like a camper van on the side of a highway um you, you know i'm going on a tangent but you know what i'm saying so I, th- I think that you know teaching people and understanding the education that's involved with this is just like this is a naturally occurring thing that some civilizations still use to this day and have been using for thousands of years and that has dictated a lot of modern society because i always find it funny when someone will like quote aristotle or plato and then they'll be like drugs are bad it's like those guys were tripping and 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 going on these these fantasies this is the only reason why they were able to think beyond in that time. People are always thinking like, why were some of these civilizations so much more creative than we were or we are? It's it's because of the utilization of these medicines, right? And that's a, a, unfortunately still a controversial take, but I'm I'm pretty dead set on it myself. So. Yeah. Yeah, just like the recent research on that the Great Pyramid was some kind of ener- solar energy collector that we just don't understand yet based on where the places the changers are and different types of materials used. I think it's fascinating. You know? there's, yeah, there's a
1: whole lot of theories. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the pyramids are just weird in that, they, that there's way too much precision in way too weird places. You know, precision we cannot explain at all with, with, with the technology we as- assume they had back then.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i have you been to the have you been to the pyramids no never so i was luckily working for a designer a couple years ago and i had a chance to go to an egypt trip with him because he was giving a talk and we got to go inside the pyramid and when i went in there um you know so we walked up inside the went all the way up and it's hot as hell inside the pyramid because you're in the middle of the desert and it's inside and you're going up and maybe 140 degrees in there but getting into the burial chamber or it's lined with this granite that is so perfect and so fine. And it was almost mind blowing in my head. Like he designers was like, look, it's probably aliens. And I was like, I, I it could be that. But in my head, I was like, there's no way this was a burial chamber. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like they, they say it was lined with granite because it was a rare material back in Egypt, so they gave the rarest materials to the king and had him you know which that that makes sense on like a level, but if only if you're thinking in the plane of what we understand about technology and society right, and I think that they were onto something that we don't understand and it would been, also
1: help if we had found yeah. a mummy in one of those, but we never found a single <laughs> mummy in any of those
0: <laughs> yeah that's the thing and then so you know the recent the recent what they were using is they were using um solar radiation to essentially be this like large scale scanner of the pyramids. I don't know. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, I followed that. Yeah, they found the void there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they found the void. And then you start looking at where they map these voids are and you're like, this doesn't make sense. It's like, there's no way they built something this specific and this exact but just left like random chambers that were like, because I remember when I was a kid and I was taught about this, they were like, oh, these are just places inside the pyramid. They thought they might want to put a barrel chamber or there was some other use to it. They just uh, decided not to go with it. There's no way that anything inside that structure was accidental or like a dead end. Now everything mm-hmm. had an exacting purpose. Yeah. 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 So you said one of the things that you like to research is like the UFO, the paranormal. So I feel like I'm walking right into like your whole, like this whole fascinating thing what is uh what is your current like modus operandi on like aliens and ufo's like what is your belief currently based on what you understand i I
1: actually i'm very conscious about not trying to believe much i do build you know this this house of cards that we all Mm -hmm. do anyway but in science it's like okay but in weird stuff it's not so but but i mean there's so much exciting stuff coming out right now it's it's i'm allowing myself to think much further now with these latest revelation i don't know if you you probably have heard about this this congressional hearing that just happened a few two Mm -hmm. weeks ago so so that's exciting. You know, it, it, it gives like people like Bob Lazar and, and these kind of ideas. Reverse engineering was kind of so fringe. Reverse engineering of alien craft or alien non-human intelligence craft. But now it's like, okay, yeah, I can see that. What, what else? Maybe Stephen Greer's right. You know, wow, it's getting crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah it's it's at the seed of every uh conspiracy theory is a seed of truth right and sometimes conspiracy theories are like taken in the wrong direction or go just a completely different way or taken the wrong data set afterwards but i think that like the graham is it graham norton or what's his name hancock Hancock, sorry yeah graham hancock and the other guy's last name norton and they're both on the the joe rogan if you you, I'll, i'll link a couple of the joe rogan episodes below but those are good primers of like people getting into these things and so the first foray of my own interest into this i remember i was in college as a freshman and i was invited down to this conference in phoenix arizona because i went to a big aerospace and astrophysics school up in the mountains called Embry riddle and um a couple of us went down i was the only engineer the rest of them were astrophysics and it was this conference where people were talking about you know space elevators and nuclear propulsion systems and and plasma and all all sorts of kind of far out there ideas Uh, interestingly like 10, 10 11 years later a lot of them were actually technologies being actually worked on right now. But the most amazing thing is that one of these guys was kind of like a Graham Hancock disciple. And was talking about how he's used spectral imaging from satellites to look at these massive deviations on the earth and try to figure out what these like asteroid collisions were actually like. And that were so, so wrong about where they were and what they could have been, and he's like he he his hypothesis is basically that the, an object hit the earth that was so large, like this like like I'm talking half the size of our moon that it created a crater that was the size of a continent, and the thing is is that people are looking on a micro scale for these craters, but he basically showed us this model he built based on how the plates had moved since then like how the earth had changed how water had melted and frozen and like things had been destroyed and basically we built this model where like the basin that basically is like the gulf of mexico at the top all the way down to the amazon base at the bottom is like one giant crater and you can actually like reverse looking at everything to see like that's like that's where there was some kind of astronomically significant impact that fundamentally changed the entire surface and the existence of this planet and he's like this is one of the reasons why we're able to exist and it was fascinating and the problem is that kind of person was obviously like half booed off stage i was sitting there i was like i want to talk to this guy this guy this is cool you know um but since he's been like people you know i think that people will go out of their way to discredit people like that. And I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. some kind of back-ended government thing where the government is definitely paying some of the people to discredit other people to try to like, they can't go down that path because there's something at the end of that hallway, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that clearly has
1: happened in the UFO field. There there was very clearly CIA disinformation going on. Absolutely.
0: right, And and, and like, I, I find it interesting that the only reason we found out about it is because Congress is doing so poorly right now with, Everything related to wage and social justice and the environment and politics and and every single thing they're failing on, they're like, let's distract everyone with UFOs. Everyone go look at this thing and don't look at all the stuff we're not doing, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's, it works for people like you and I, because we get to learn all these interesting things, but I don't know. Um, it's
1: fundamentally important, I think, and also sheds a light on, 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 on how insanely secrets are being accumulated just as a matter of power, you know? So that's, oh, that's sure. fascinating. And currency. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the most fascinating, uh, this is one of the lesser watched one, but I'm sure based on your interest, you saw It, it was a guy who was talking about the large scanning telescope they installed down in Antarctica. Um, and he like held the keys, to the facility, I'll send it to you afterwards, but basically they, they have this large grid of sensors. That's basically a kilometer cube. So it's a kilometer in each direction of the surface. And it goes one kilometer down. And there are these sensors that are meant to measure everything from like very rare amounts of solar radiation to like some of the rarest particles that could be found on earth meant for physics experiments, but What he was saying is that, and this is, he was a whistleblower. And what he was saying was that the machine can absorb and read, but can also push out. It can also create the energy. And he was basically saying that when they were testing the machine, trying to figure out what it was capable of, those random non-tectonic earthquakes that happened in New Zealand a few years ago were caused by this energy device in Antarctica and that is really scary
1: right? yeah i I've, I've heard rumors about this kind of stuff yeah fascinating yeah, yeah
0: so 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 i i recommend you watch the whole hearing mm. because the guy who was responsible for running the facility basically whistleblew um and it's all out there and i'm sure he needs full time protection at this point but like it's it's terrifying, you know, because like there are a lot of technologies that are worked on by DARPA and people in our fields that go down those deep government, secret, deep tech organizations that are working on stuff like this. And it is honestly terrifying to a degree of what, you know, some people are willing to do. It's like the Manhattan Project on steroids, but no one talks about it, you know. Right. Um, and and
1: yeah. creepily, it's our money who funds it.
0: Yes. Yeah it's 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 a cut from the hard working time and labor that you and your team do to make these beautiful pieces of art is being used for yes. these things that could end up you know killing everyone yeah. or hurting someone yeah. right so they are it's hurting all about who it's already the
1: already right now you know they're hurting right now you know these mm-hmm. drone assassinations i mean these things also need some money you know that the taxpayer yeah. provided it's painful
0: it's 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 getting out of control. And I've been thinking, talking to my girlfriend about this recently, like, where does it stop? Like, like what is what is this leading to? Because it's clearly not far from being over. Um right. You know, it is it is I think it is far from over. Sorry. I said that wrong. But like I just I'm curious as to where this is all going. Because you have a few countries in the world that have these deep, deep spending and research like china digging the deepest hole on earth for physics demonstrations and scientific testing i don't believe that for a second like it's there's no way that's not some kind of deep research for some kind of weapon or something to do with playing with energy from the earth's core like and that's when you start getting to things where like there's that movie core it has like uh a couple of famous actors like stanley tucci's in it basically this idea where like these people try to make this device that can harness energy from the earth's core and it's also like a we- also a weapon that they could use that's like a concentrated energy device they could destroy entire countries with that disagreed with them but in the process they actually like stop the rotation of the earth's core which kills our protective like uh you know field around the earth that saves us from everything and it basically like slowly starts cooking earth and it's this crazy like armageddon like story of how they go back into the center of the earth like restart the core it's crazy it's ridiculous (laughs) great great play movie but like the basis of that i don't think we're too far off from we're as as the as the as the gen z says people are fucking around and finding out and i think that there are a lot of organizations and people with money and deep science and deep pockets that are fucking around a little bit too much. And I, unfortunately the finding out might be massive, massive implications to the entire planet and everyone living on it, you know, and that's what scares me right now. So, yeah, but quite likely. Yeah. Interesting. If there's any other, uh, are there any like, books that you've really enjoyed recently on these topics that you'd recommend people read or check out or anything you found on like your it sounds like you deep dive on ebay for the more like esoteric like yeah, research and yeah that's that's great anything you found that it's like you thought was just fantastic or
1: really there's such oddball books i i keep reading you know it's like it's i can't really recommend them i take them with a grain of salt each of them mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm very hesitant to do any recommendations (laughs) on my reading list.
0: All right. Understood. So Mm. because there's always this like, I find these bookstores in the weird places, like you'll find it like a rural town in Oregon or Washington, and there'll be a lot of these books. And you know that the owner of the bookstore has read all of them, right? Mm -hmm. And and you're just like, you kind of pick through. And I think that's the thing I mentioned, right? It's like, there are a lot of wacko books out there. But the baseline of a lot of these is like a little, a seed of truth you know, like a little bit of this thing and you start to think about it, like what, what if they're looking at this wrong? Right. What does this actually mean? Yeah. Right.
1: Cool. What I do is I, I kind of, I, I'm more like conscious about just trusting my gut or not. When it's something is I read or you listen to you on YouTube or whatever it is or rumble. I just, I do, I, if it, I don't resonate with it, I turn it off. And if I do, mm. I don't really, I'm, 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 I suspend my disbelief, you know, to a certain degree. I want to, I just, I'm open, you know, I let open myself up to it, even though it's weird if I get the right vibes, that sounds pretty new agey, but that's, that's basically how I approach these things these days.
0: Well, I, th- I think, I think it should be approached that way, right? Like I used to, I was taught growing up in America that like reading is starting a book on page one and then you finish it and then you think about it. Like that's not how reading is, but I think through the past few years I always wanted to read this like insane version of it where I would like flip through, maybe start in the middle, maybe it'd only like think like oh these 10 pages are useful, why would I waste my time, my valuable time on this planet reading the rest of it that's bs. You know, and I think that that's becoming more accepted. Like I I read on the uh, like i like if i can't find the book online then i'll go like thrifting for it or or like searching on you know esoteric places but like for a lot of the mainstream books you can buy online i read them on my iPad because like I want to be able to take notes on a certain page and I want to be able to like jump around. So I'll be walking through like 10 to 15 books at any point in time, which most people think is just crazy. But to me I like it because like maybe yeah. in that moment I want to learn about biology or physics or history or something that's like a novel, you know, who knows what it is, but I just need to, sometimes I'm like, I want this. And some people are like, Oh, I'm reading a mystery right now and I don't like it, but I have to finish it so I can read the next book. I want to like, why would you ever do that? You know?
1: Yeah. I do the same thing. I have like this ridiculous stack of books on my nightstand and whenever it falls over every like year or so, then I just (laughs) sort it out and put some away and some I give away.
0: Got it. And mm. so, you, do you keep the books you enjoy and the ones you don't? You just yes. You know, give them I'm away building or... this.
1: I'm building the weird library. It's in my yeah, in exactly. the bathroom of my studio.
0: That's awesome. That's amazing. That's a good place to have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I know we're coming up on time. Um, so I'll get you out of here. And obviously, I think I think we need a. Uh, I'll come down. I want to come down and visit the studio, and we can record a part two eventually. Uh, and sure. And dive a little bit deeper into uh, all the things we talked about. Um, but yeah, I come have by any time. Thank you. I have a couple last minute questions that I'd like to ask every guest. Um, you can answer them in as few or many words as you like, um, more in like a rapid fire sense. Uh, is there a is there a sound that you associate with happiness? Humming,
1: humming. When I eat something that's yummy, I hum automatically. My kids make fun of me, but that's happiness
0: for me. <laughs> and you just go, mm, yeah. Is there a? How old are your kids?
1: They're 21, 21, 16, and 13.
0: Oh, nice. Cool. So you have twins at 21, I'm guessing?
1: No, they're not twins, but almost.
0: Oh, they're just like Irish twins? Right now, they're the same. Yeah.
1: They're like, there's one month where they have the same age.
0: Got it. I like that. It sounds like there were probably a handful growing up, the two at the same age. But uh... yes, (laughs) I love that, though. There are certain things that kids will always make fun of their parents for. I mean, I do with my parents as well. And I think those are like some of the best things about people. Right. It's like the things that your kids will make fun of you for.
1: So fun. I Um, love that when they make fun of me. It's so fun yeah I'm because sure. they they, they um, have this fun way of like finding it's like i made the same thing with my parents you know i would make fun of them yeah. of, of certain things it's just brilliant yeah. yeah
0: yeah um speaking of which is there is there a uh is there a story that your family or parents like to tell about you when you were a kid
1: yeah there's uh, there's a few things i mean the one i just that popped in my, my mind when you asked this is this thing that i was like apparently sitting in the sandbox for like hours and looking at the sand like just looking at the sand grains and not doing anything besides that that's what <laughs> my mother says
0: uh destiny. also for guess,
1: some that. reason yeah but for some reason also she tells me that i was like when the cookie monster came up i was really scared of that so i would hide <laughs> behind the door i don't yeah. know why i always thought the cookie monster was kind of cool but i was yeah. scared of it yeah
0: I mean, the, like w- nothing wrong with a, a a blue hairy monster that has like a drug level addiction to cookies. Like that's, yeah. that's pretty cool
1: And, and then know? doesn't even eat them. You know, it's all about like crunching yeah. them and f- spilling them all over the place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I asked that question as a kid. I was like, I think he's, I think like, mom, me too. Like he's eating many cookies. Mm-hmm. And, and my mom's it's, like, that's extra
1: frustrating. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because me as a kid, like my mom would keep sweets for me. So whenever I see him like wasting cookies, I'm like, I want those cookies. That's Exactly. There. I had this the same
1: reaction. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, That's great. Um, is if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family, is there a certain problem uh, locally or nationally or internationally that you'd like to try to put that money towards solving?
1: Now I would probably use it towards psychedelic research. But mm. maybe if I think about it more carefully, I would probably change my mind. I don't know.
0: Sure. That's actually the... So I would say after like, doing something in the realm of climate change, that's probably the second most common answer I get is around psychedelic research. Cause I think I just, it's not that I seek out these people. I just think that some of those interesting people that are on the bleeding edge of trying to figure out what's next in any realm are all using. And I think that's a very fascinating thread that's existing everywhere. Um, If uh, you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area Uh, where would it be and what would it say
1: oh area Mm -hmm. something with (laughs) something along the lines of you're worthy or i love you or something
0: yeah i love (laughs) positive everywhere yeah everyone everywhere i love that i think i think because this is the you know you're going to be around episode number 50 and i've asked this question 50 times and like I was thinking about this. If that actually happened and I sent out all these things, like it, a lot of people would be getting a lot of like positive messages and some people would be like, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand. Like, leave me alone. You know, <laughs> which I think is of interesting. Of
1: course, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in a way, the whole idea of, an, uh, of a text message defies the purpose of, of this affirmation. You, know? you should really go <laughs> yeah. there and give them a hug.
0: <laughs> yeah, for but sure. that would you be you a lot can that through a phone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure a phone in the future will be able to hug us, but I don't, I don't really want that future personally. Um, or make us feel like we're getting a hug, which is yeah. the worst kind of hug, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, I exactly. think I, we didn't talk about the metaverse or like where, where things are moving there, but like, I just, I think it can be useful in a lot of ways, but I think it can be very destructive in many more ways. Um, so I really hope that that like, I like what Facebook is doing with the metaverse, like that terrifies me, like creating like an online ready player one style world where people can just escape from reality. And I like, more what Apple's doing with the vision pro where like augmenting your existing environment and trying to bring in, like, I think for education, like I get excited looking at like a product like that for education. Like I would love, you know, to have young kids and have them want to learn about, you know, the dinosaurs and being able to strap one of those on and like be immersed in the world and be able to manipulate like a dinosaur skeleton and be able to like, you know, fit, like that to me is where it becomes interesting. You totally. Yeah. Um,
1: but, of so, course, fraught with problems. I mean, Jurassic Park, we mentioned Jurassic Park, you know, the the dinosaur, <laughs> yeah. the velociraptor in the kitchen window, will, like, blows his hot air. So, the yeah. assumption that this was a warm-blooded animal is a done deal then, you know? Yeah. All the unknown will be, like, then nailed, as in we know it. That's mm. going to be tricky.
0: Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. Wow, mm-hmm. that's actually fascinating. I think that's the one thing is when you have this built in perception of reality, there are many baked in things where I actually just realized for the first time that like reptiles must be cold blooded. And in all of Jurassic Park, they're animated. to be like They're warm.
1: They, they the fog up the window, you know, on the, on yeah, the kitchen yeah. door. Yeah.
0: I, by the way, Jurassic Park terrified me as a kid. Like I, I always like thought that I was going to wake up and look at my window and just see a dinosaur looking at mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And that was terrifying. But uh,
1: I, I watched it when I was already, I think, 19 or 20. So that's when it came out for me. I was born in 70. And I absolutely, I, I, I went there with a friend and we watched it. We were saying like, we took it in as an as a, as a animal movie. It was very fun yeah. to watch it. <laughs> yeah, Not I like a, it you now, know, a story, but we took it in as like, that's we totally wanted to believe it.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the first cool time the computers were that far. Yeah, Yeah, and it's amazing to where we've gotten to. You know, like looking at computer animation. Um, uh, I have two more questions. The, the last one I just came up with, because I've, I've never had someone that could actually understand the question. But the next question is, um, this one this, this is, uh, we'll get there. But the next one is something that I ask everyone as well, which is, you know, you have kids, assuming that some or all of your kids have kids as well. What advice would you have for your grandchildren's generation?
1: Just love your kids. What can I say? I mean, this is so it's, it's so much simpler than we think. You know, we overthink this sure. stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I love, and I, I had a feeling you were going to say something like that, which I, and I appreciate <laughs> you for doing that. So, the the, the last question, um, and it's not as big as complex as you're worrying it is. I'll save those for the, round two. We'll get into we'll get into the deep, you know, quantum level thinking of humanity. Um, but have you seen the movie *Tenet* by uh, the Christopher Nolan film? No. All right. Well, apparently I I
1: don't know any movies. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, It's it's okay. So this, it's just a, it's a film that is steeped in physics and about the like impending society we're creating. And I, I really can't say more without ruining the film, but I just recommend you watch it and we'll talk about it next time, because I think that you of all people will be someone who will not only get it immediately, but like, it, it will start spinning a lot of gears in your head that, will, that are positive. And I think, I think you'll like, And I think you'll really enjoy it. So Tenet, uh, for Christopher Nolan's film, go watch it and uh, we can then talk about it. But I, I think you'll really enjoy it. So I'll save the question for next time then. So, Okay, cool. So cool. Anything else you'd like to plug or share with the audience or have them go check out uh, Beyond What We Already Talked About?
1: have a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, thank you so much again uh, for the time. I hope people get uh, value out of this. Uh, We'll chat briefly offline right after this. And uh, to everyone else still listening, uh, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and you can hear me give the outro right now. I hope you all enjoyed this episode between myself and Julian Voss Andre. You can find Julian online by Googling his name, Julian, spelled J-U-L-I-A-N, and then Voss Andre, V-O-S-S hyphen A-N-D-R-E. A, E, and as always, you can find me online at Rob Ockincloos or Rob is Lost. And I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day, night, evening, whatever it is. Goodbye.